Just like Elizabeth Holmes, I'm here to lean into white privilege and suck your blood. Condé Nasty. And like the girls last week, I also had an awkward and poorly choreographed six-way. I'm Ursula the Sea Bitch. And this is Reading, Reading Drag, Drag Race. The show where we talk about whatever we want. But mostly RuPaul's Drag Race. Hi, Ursula. How are you? I'm surviving, which I think is really the most any of us can ask in this day and age. I know the feeling all too well. Um, so this week I wanted to start with a discussion question again. Um, so first week we talked about our covens. This week I was hoping we could maybe talk a little bit about why do we love drag. So I don't know what your thoughts are. Top of mind, what is it that you love about the art of drag performance? Well, it's funny you mentioned that. I was eating dinner tonight. Uh, this is the one day a month I allow myself to eat. Um, and I was watching YouTube videos of Pearl teaching people how to do drag. And I'm going to say, she, she really painted her face on like, like uh, all the shade I normally throw Pearl aside. Talented queen. Um, well, she's an extremely talented artist. Like, like if nothing else, she's a great artist yeah. and a makeup artist. So anyway, watching her paint her face on, it struck me because I've also been taking drawing classes because Hersel is about self-improvement. Um, and it was interesting seeing how painting on a drag face was not that different than drawing a face on a sheet of paper. The same sense of, you know, light and dark and shape and, you know, what you want in front and what you want in back and to draw attention to. So I, I like the art qua art. Yeah, that's right. I use Latin because we're fancy ass here. Um, I, I like the artistry of drag a lot. I, I like the way it thinks about shape and presentation and transformation. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Um, for, for the listeners at home, we do do this show in full geesh, but Pursula is so fishy. She really just paints her makeup on like a woman. So I'm sure Pearl's witchcraft was different than her witchcraft. Um, so... Yeah, what I love about drag, I feel like drag is this very complicated, multifaceted, multi like interdisciplinary performance art that has its origins as something that is very avant-garde and distinctly queer. Um, I think before trans was a thing, there was intersections of drag and cross-dressing um, within sort of fringe culture, fringe queer culture. And I think that... Um, there are many elements of that that feel then uh, like it artfully and intelligently subverts um, the mainstream and sort of criticizes mainstream cultural values in a way that I think pushes us further as a society. Um, and that's, that's really what I love about drag. Um, I ask this because Watching this show and just listening to the way people have discussed Drag Race in recent years, or, or particularly this year, but in recent years, um, you know, the gay rights movement has been extremely successful. Increasingly, the trans uh, rights movement is, is moving in the right direction in a lot of places. And I feel like many people have commented that drag is inherently this sort of countercultural, subversive thing, but it's become so accepted that... It really isn't anymore, and this season is a season of legacy and pageant queens who feel less subversive aside from Evie Oddly. Um, I was curious what your feelings of on both that general idea and discussion and this season so far. All right. I, I get those criticisms, and I don't disagree with them, but I think it misses 
a couple of facets that remain true. Um, it's something Dan Savage said uh, years ago during, like, I think season five or six, where what he likes about this show is it's a place where sissies get to have the full range of characterizations. The hero, the villain, they are they are agents um, because of their position on this show, and that's something swishy, effeminate men don't often get to be even in sympathetic portrayals. We're sad about the bad things that happen to them, or we're happy about the good things that happen to them, but they're still just kind of receptacles for events happening to them. Whereas on Drag Race, they are actors. They, they have uh, desires and they act to achieve them, uh, some well, some poorly, some, you know, nicely and some not, and that kind of portrayal is still lacking. So I, I enjoy a take on cutthroat competition that detaches it from orthodox masculinity. And I think that remains true. Uh, even in, yeah, even, even in an age of larger queer acceptance, being the effeminate... Uh, Ursula got called sensitive a lot as a child because that was the code word of the day. Um, so, yeah, like I, I enjoy seeing a place for the quote unquote sensitive, quote unquote, artistic uh, boys to or kids generally. No need to limit it. But like just these people still don't identify in many vectors on standard binary cishet models. And they still pay a price for it, even if that price is smaller or more easily compensable elsewhere. So I like having a forum that's like as cutthroat as, you know, the fucking Coliseum, but full of fabulous queens instead of, you know, brutish Roman daddies. Not that I wouldn't watch that, mind you, but that that's a different show. I, I agree. Um, yeah, no, I do feel like there is something to be said about all of that criticism about mainstream acceptance. Frankly, I'm generally pretty averse to a lot of the discussion of what we lose in acceptance within gay culture. I feel like that may be true, but I still want all of the good that comes with acceptance, including fewer kids questioning themselves or their worth. I mean, the, you know, you take the good with the bad, and, and I think that there is far more good than bad. Um, I also think a lot of people who feel that way are people where at a time when being gay itself made you interesting, they really leaned into that. Um, I feel like the show, it still is to me, nonetheless contrarian and counterculture in a way that is informative and insightful. Um, I love that drag provides people with an avenue to sort of both escape themselves and rediscover themselves in different ways. Rue has talked before about how drag kind of teaches you who you are in a way and it's a way to sort of channel something else but then really channel in a different part of yourself um and i do think like as much as we've been accepted a drag queen is still a target walking down a crowded public street in most parts of the country um so and also i myself was skeptical about this group of more reserved and introverted and seeming a little more I don't know, polished and ple people-pleasing drag queens at first. And, and I have to say, I feel like they have some of the best acting chops of anybody, of any cast. And I've been really impressed. So I, I went in expecting to be underwhelmed. And thus far, I'm, I am quite impressed with what they've done. And uh, it, is, it is still contrarian, even if it is not as contrarian as it once was. Uh, yeah, and I think the problem isn't that drag is less contrarian. I think it's that... 
you can't have a show that sits on the outside mocking the fundamentals of reality television while simultaneously being the best, most popular reality show. It's like The Simpsons. The Simpsons were countercultural through the eighth season when everyone uniformly decided the show wasn't good anymore. But it's like after eight years of skewering culture and becoming the most popular show in the history of television, you then aren't on the outside as much anymore. So you are now the culture you used to make fun of. And that's just life. That is the arc of any outside thing. Like, yeah, no, I, I agree. All I agree. your music will be on an oldie station one day. Everything you think is shocking will be mundane before you die. That is life. That is you just got to deal. Um, and I agree that these queens are more impressive than I thought they would be overall. Even the even the people who who screwed up, like like um, uh, Honey and uh, who went home first. This is what happens when there's ninety queens. Um, you know, with uh, Kahana and Soju. Oh, like, dear. thank you. So it took me, I had to like work backwards. Um, Soju was the only one that really felt like, who boy, did you hardcore whiff the challenge? Whereas like, even the weaker stuff this season, even Mercedes um, has a level of polish that's better than a lot of the, the like, they praised looks that came off the rack from a Forever 21 first season. Rebecca Glasscock was praised for looks that Michelle Visage would lawfully be allowed to kill you for wearing nowadays. So yep. I th like, like I, I think it is also one of those like, and we'll get into this in the in the mini challenge, believe me. But there is a sense in which drag, as it's drifted into more mainstream, has become more expensive and luxe and i think that like that might even be part of it too where like it went from this thing you taped together um as best you could to this you know it, it went from drag on a dime to haute couture and and that's part of it too but you can't deny like these queens have it like even if they're not your cup of tea on some various vector um they're all good they, they are largely all at least okay in a way that most seasons usually had a oh Oh dear, dear! What, did you get on the wrong bus? What happened? And yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I, I um, I've always said RuPaul knows how to cast a play, and I feel like there were always girls that they knew would end up at the top, and always girls that they thought would be good fodder for whatever reason. And it was it was transparent in the process, and that's fine. And I feel like this season, you know, there have been some fumbles, but by and large, I think there have been times where the worst performance was only good, um, which is impressive. Um, and I, I will say, going back to your sports, your your sort of Dan Savage quote, and, and as you expounded upon that, I feel like a lot of people say that RuPaul's Drag Race is our sports, and I agree with that on many levels. I think that there's, personally, there have been a lot of lessons about self-assurance, like focusing on my goal, things that, like, a little league coach told me and I ignored because I was like, why are we spending so much time doing something so dull? Oh, that's right. This like heteronormative, weird, masculine, competitive thing that I feel completely estranged and unaffected by and find boring really drives you. This affects me and gives me life. And so I feel like I watch it and suddenly a lot of that chatter that felt like bullshit when I was younger suddenly has a place where it resonates and matters with me. Um, personally with my, my husband is a very competitive person and being competitive tends to be the thing that motivates him most. Whereas I am somebody who like Katya 
does well and thrives when I am left to my own devices and not sort of given the pressure of you're performing against somebody or an expectation. And I've used that metaphor like I am Alaska or I am Katya in All-Stars 3 or in All-Stars 2, sorry. I am Katya in All-Stars 2. You are Alaska in All-Stars 2. You cannot pressure me to like go get them. When you just let me lean into who I am, I shine. And you need to like embrace that when you try to encourage and support me. And I think that that is a sentiment I had tried to convey a few times before. And suddenly when I put it in the context of Drag Race, he, he understood immediately. So that says something. Yeah. Um, I think so, I'm a Bendela in All-Stars 3. I just am tired and want to go home to my theater community. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I concur. Um, so moving on to this episode, um, nothing really interesting at the beginning, in my opinion, aside from the, like, we've got to make every second count after the, uh, I believe they're calling it the gangbang lip sync, which just feels like gays want to refer to a gangbang, but sure, we'll go, we'll go with that. The gangbang lip sync, uh, Suge was real, is it, it's Sugar, right? Sugar can't, yeah, sugar. Yeah, sugar was real shaken, and I get it. Um, lots of, like, we've got to make every second count chatter. Um, did you have any thoughts on the coming back to the workroom moment? No, I, I think it was all so, like, I, someone said it, and I forget who, but they suggested the possibility that they recorded that twice because it was such a clusterfuck uh, to film, and you could kind of see it. Those Those dolls were wrung out. Uh, so I think it kind of put a natural cap on how much they were really going to do. Like, I think they were all about ready to drop, honestly, uh, looking back at them. Like, those, they just needed, like, 20 minutes and a cup of tea. Like, I just felt bad for them. Like, oh, that was, it, it was a lot. It was a I lot. I agree. I agree. Um, so then moving on to the, to the episode's mini challenge... Um, so the mini challenge was Rachel Ray focused. It was a sort of news anchoring moment. R Rachel Maddow. Or, sorry, Rachel Maddow. <laughs> Rachel Maddow focused moment. Um, it was an odd concept. I do feel like they've reached a point where I'm like, you guys either need to hire new production interns or start recycling concepts. But um, some of them had fun with it and were doing characters and isms. Evie Oddly, who's definitely slowly becoming my favorite this season, had fun with it. Um, Scarlett did a good job. She read it in a very clear way and gave me news anchor drag feelings. Um, and so, you know, whatever. But all in all, it felt more like it was a, I don't know, a sort of testament to the inequitable distribution of education. Thank in this country, you. God, so many yeah. Oh, yeah really yeah. struggled to read it in a clear and cohesive way. And I felt like the whole joke and gag was like illiteracy and like just looking at which queen struggles and which didn't, it felt like, yep, I would have guessed that one grew up in a poorer school district than this one. And in many ways, I feel like the mini challenges don't really matter. So it, I'm not like upset, upset about it, but it did feel like so who won the best was probably somebody who went to a much better school than the average person this season. Yeah, because just to break it down, uh, even if you are as well-read, uh, live performing is different than speaking. And even if you're good at live performing, reading a teleprompter, like, 
there are actors who act for a living and read other people's words to live. And they are the worst, the worst at award ceremonies. Watch the Oscars. It's a shit show. You'd think they don't know how to read, but they must know how to read because they read scripts all day. Um, so it just, it, it did feel like it, it's a fine line I'm going to try to draw here, but there's a difference between who was it in season three who coined the now iconic term, uh, post-apocalyptic. I forget which queen that was. Um, she was really mousy. I don't remember her name. Yeah, but that felt like, I don't know, like that felt like a honest tongue slip that just turned mm -hmm. into a thing. Um, and that was like funnier somehow than this. Like even Silky, where it's like, I think Silky was just leaning into it and making it a character, which, which is a valid choice. It's not like the goal was to actually read the news. I think a better use of the time, they would have had to have made it bigger and get Maddo there all day, and I don't think that was possible. But if it were, like, to be Maddo's co-anchor or something, like, where it would have catered to their talents without just being like, here's a reading comprehension test. Uh, yeah. Which, like, okay, yeah, yeah, all the queens botched the word colonel, because colonel is spelled completely differently than it is pronounced. Uh, I thought her name was Hermione for the first three books until someone spoke her name aloud to me. So it, I, I also thought it was epitome instead of epitome for a while when I was a kid. I mean, like, it's, it's like, I, I can, it's just like, it, it, it just felt weird. It, it, yeah, it was, it was literally like, which of you had the most complete standard American Western education? And that's not an interesting question in the context of drag. I concur. I concur. As somebody who is severely dyslexic, that's the kind of thing where I would have to focus entirely to do well, and I would feel very anxious and struggle. And so it was like, ugh. Um, yeah. Uh, so one thing of note, though, from the mini challenge that I don't know if you noticed, I, I haven't really been reading articles or looking. I just watched the episode recently. But um, so there was a moment where Vanjie was getting dressed as Rachel Maddow, and she was walking past Brooklyn with her hands um, and they were slightly concealing. It was like she was straightening her wig and glasses, but she said, oh, God, don't even look at me. And Brooklyn was smiling like a beaming, affectionate smile. And Vanjie sort of scurried quickly in a self-conscious, oh, I don't want to, my boyfriend to see me without makeup kind of way. And Brooklyn leaned over and quickly, in a very, like, graceful and athletic way, slapped Vanjie's ass. Um, I didn't see the the alleged kiss in uh untucked and i've been sort of ignoring the chatter about anything happening between them like waiting like i'll care once i see a receipt but i'm going to tell you right now that like second and a half that i think most people didn't even notice happen that was the receipt i was looking for girl because like there was so much communicated in their body language in that moment um did, did you notice that i know i, I noticed them interacting i don't think i noticed the butt slap i think that which is odd because normally that would be the only thing i notice hmm, yeah and, and what, um, what vanji muttered was like pretty hard to it was pretty inaudible i think that, like the subtitles were a big part of me catching it <laughs> um yeah i did see the untucked and i have seen the kiss uh the kiss heard around the world um okay. i i obviously understand this is reality television but I think like the best reality television, it does its best work when it's anchored in something real. So I'm landing on, I think these two queens found each other in a stressful situation. They found love in a hopeless place. Um, 
and they both are talented enough queens, Vanji especially, who knows exactly how to meet out just enough to like, like, they, it, it, like I think it is simultaneously like I do think they might actually be. I think they are actually falling for each other, and I think they are cautious about giving this piece of themselves to the cameras, but they both know that's actually the best way to give it to them. <laughs> okay. That, yeah. that is entirely reasonable. I, I have very little speculation on the nature of the flirtation at this point, other than there's been chatter. And I feel like RuPaul would feed into that. Like they've fed into that chatter with Jinx Monsoon and Ivy Winters and, and, they were friends and Jinx found Ivy attractive and Jinx and Ivy is a, you know, objectively attractive person. And it was, there was really nothing there. This, I'm not inclined to speculate too much. I think you make a great point um, in your speculation, but I definitely feel like that was a moment where I was like, Oh no, this is real. That was like, that was two sided for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I think at most they are handling the, like any celebrity couple, um, they are handling how their relationship is is uh, consumed. Like they they are they, I believe they have have a genuine thing for each other at this point, and I think they've de they've decided to go hardcore, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Carter Knowles with it, which is okay. which is even better because if they were just you know shoving their tongues down each other's throats on camera, if they if they were doing to relationships what Silky is doing to everything else, it'd be terrible. I agree. Um, I agree. But yeah, this, this like, we're not giving interviews about this. Like, because there's not even like a talking head follow-up unless they're holding out, which they could be. But I kind of like this idea that they've actually bonded and are being very cagey about it, simultaneously nurturing the delicate early stages of a relationship and giving me the best version of the reality TV version of this you possibly could. It's 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 genius within genius, which is honestly what we've come to expect from Vanjie. So, <laughs> and can I say this actually? You just first off, you went on about that way longer than I thought. I you 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 you, you feign reserve, but you you're living for it. I can tell. Um, well, something so, needs to make me happy. It's just it's, I, it's 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 a rough world. <laughs> I, I get it. Um, so there have been a couple times in this podcast where you've said, we don't, Vanjie's this big presence, but we don't know anything about her. Um, and I was, I sort of countered with, I think, I also think I just generally follow the queens more and pay more attention to what they're doing off the show than you do. So, and I saw her twice between season 10 and season 11 um, perform. So to me, she wasn't like, that funny moment at the end of the first episode of season 10. And that was it. Like, to me, I felt like I knew a fair amount more about her. And I think that a lot of fans of the show do, because I think a lot of people who watch the show also follow them on Instagram, like check out various YouTube venues where they they show up. They show up in, on tour all the time. Um, so I don't think she was as much of a mystery in season 11 as, as I think you did, or she was to you perhaps. Um, and also I feel like you kind of commented a couple times about her doing sort of an Alyssa thing. And I feel like Alyssa is somebody who's like season five. She was kind of weird and not that likable because she was so pageant, pretty girl focused, but she was also kind of weird off the cuff 
Alyssa isms, like her sort of Texas charm. And I think Vanjie is a little more self-aware of both of those and the middle where there's things about her just being Vanjie that we love. But I think the like, I think it's a lot more both her being herself and doing her drag. Like, I feel like she's a lot more self-aware and intentional in her funny than Alyssa ever has ever. I I agree. Vanjie is an orbit better in terms of like okay humor I, I agree there i would say especially in every in, in the episodes that weren't uh the libra dress i think her best moments have kind of happened next to the challenge and the narrative of the week rather than in it the way like like nina's win was part of the narrative of that episode and it was like, in a way, all of my favorite Vanjie moments this season have just been Vanjie being amazing, almost temporally and uh, textually independent of what else was going on in the episode. Like, it wasn't like the episode is showing me Miss Vanjie being amazing. It's just like, here's, it's like a pop, like a pop-up book where it's like, and now Vanjie will be amazing. Uh, so I, I, I think she hasn't clicked in to doing the most amazing work in a way that will get her the challenge win at this point. And that would be the only place that I feel is holding her back. Like she needs to totally, I completely agree with you. I think it's a very different situation than Alyssa, but I, and I, and I completely agree with your assessment. Like, I think if she can channel a little more about what, what we find charming about her off the cuff into challenge performance, she would be unstoppable. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, completely. Um, so, all right. So moving on from that. Uh, so we get into, uh, what is it? Trump the Rusical? I had a lot of concerns about this, even from the promos. Yeah, I was not excited about the very idea of it at all, to be honest. It's like, um, yeah, I, I come here to get away from the world, not to do more with it. Um, I also didn't, tr- like, and I'm going to say, like, Rue leans so hard into this, like, everybody say love uh, mode of psycho, of like, ersatz psychotherapy, that I was really worried that it would be this, like, every, uh, both sides-ism are like, like, someone would be cast as Trump in a way that would, like, bizarrely... Humanize them? Yeah, and I didn't want that. No, none of us did. I, I, I do think Rue is starting to lose touch a little more palpably, but I don't, I didn't even consider it a possibility that she'd gone that far. I think if that happened, it would have been a whole, a whole other discussion. Um, so they meet with Giannis, the choreographer for, for Trump, the Rusical. I love his videos. He is a phenomenal fierce dancer. He obviously loves to work some heels. Um, he was really very gay and French in that he was super bitchy to these queens I as they just loved, trying to get the choreo. I loved everything about this scene. We've talked before um, in the midst of time that we think Alyssa would be a great like permanent choreographer for the show because yeah. she, she is delightful. Um, I would not mind him maybe even more than Alyssa, or at least in like a co-chair kind of thing. Like his bitchiness was so perfect because it was so correct the whole time. It was like, it wasn't one of those, like it, like there are guest judges and guest 
whatnots that can it's clear they're hamming it for the camera like they're they're doing the thing the producers told them to do but not Giannis um I love I that actually like that whole sequence was one of the best produced sequences I've seen in years where it was like it it telegraphed exactly what was going to happen in the main challenge if you were paying attention it had it had comeuppance it had oh it was like all Raja had to say was a nothing. You can always say nothing, or b say, oh yeah, I got a ton of dance training, but it was like 15 years ago, so it'll probably come back to me a little. But I don't want to oversell the like weird needy. Oh yeah, I'm Ginger fucking Rogers over here. Was all like, what? No, stop. And it was beautiful to watch. Okay. All right. All right. I had a lot of feelings. You um, did. And so they're totally opposite of mine. I really? Feel yeah, no. Okay. I think that uh, he was the worst choreographer they've ever had. The girls were doing pretty decently, and then they would turn to him for, like, the last two moves, and he would insult them. He wasn't giving them additional direction. He wasn't giving them counts when they asked. He was just a super cunty French gay choreographer who's fierce as fuck but was just a bitch. Do I think RuPaul pulled him in because he knew he would be like that and the gays would go up? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Raja oversold, oversold, but I also think like Raja was like struggling with like two parts and it, she moves very athletically. She was just like, wait, what do I do next? And he was a bitch about it. I thought they edited it to give the feeling you had, but I felt like when I watched it, like Giannis is an amazing dancer. I totally get why the show pulled him in to be a bitch to the girls and make them even more nervous. Um, but like that was that was it. Uh, um, I, he was a bitch to Akira for no good reason. Um, yeah, I thought the only person he was nice and reasonable with was uh, I was uh, Ivy when she talked about her cartilage deficiency. Oh, Evie, yeah, that Evie, sorry, that yeah. was actually one of my favorite moments because it was like the most reasonable disease reveal because the disease actually bore specific relevance to the thing she was asked to do and she wasn't saying i can't do it she was just saying i am going to modulate in this way so i can do it which yeah. is like yeah like no i agree uh, it was i i respected evie for bringing it up in a matter-of-fact way and saying here's my workaround and that's what i'm doing it was not a, it was not saying i can't dance it was saying when i get down on the ground I'm, I'm going to soft, be soft about it. I'm worried about my knees first. And I'm like, right, right. that first of all, that's legit. Knees are terrible. And having reached an age in which apparently reaching down to tie my shoes can injure myself, uh, I respect taking care of your joints. So, you know, it's a good thing to do. Um, and we have answered, is that Evie's like, did she shave that into her head? No, that is just her head. It's a totally reasonable answer. It makes sense. I I felt bad that I couldn't stop staring at it, as, as I acknowledged last week. I feel like now that I know what it is and make sense of it, it's like, oh, that's totally reasonable. That's a thing. And I feel like my eyes are no longer gravitating there. Not saying that's a great statement on me as a person, but it is nonetheless true. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Giannis. I did. I didn't think the girls were that bad. I just thought he was a bitch. <laughs> for like, it was it was odd. And uh, I also disagreed in that you said if you watched it, it tells you everything. It really had her little mini pause freakout moment where she was overwhelmed and didn't do it, and everybody was like, "She's 
you know, it's a really challenging dance and she couldn't actually do it. And what's going on that never, that whole scene that never made it Mm. into the dance. The only person who did it ever and at all was Evie. So yeah. Um, Mm. Okay. Well, I'll give you that. Um, I also want I, I want to tag Silky for being needlessly Silky. Girl, you got Oprah. So you have the best of both worlds. You have an instantly recognizable and beloved person. Who comes in as, and is supposed to have like a not very long, but pretty long and like shining moment where it's all about you. Yeah. It was a very bizarre thing where I was like, are you just reacting for more screen time again? Because you were just given the best part. Yeah. Like I almost wish somebody was like, okay, you won't be Oprah. We're going to give you the tiniest part just to see her like try to get it. We're back. Yes, I, I agree. I, I'm trying to just sort of ignore Silky because I'm not really impressed with her and she's obviously a screen hog. Um, and I feel like, you know, the show is responding to her cries for attention by giving it to her and I'm not really interested. I feel like I'm bordering on a sort of practice neutrality to Silky to like, I don't like you and I want bad things for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. um, All right. So uh, we get to the workroom and Nina West has a very special episode discussing being harassed and threatened in college um, around the time of the Matthew Shepard murder. Um, So what's crazy about this is that it was 1998, which does not seem that long ago. And it was, as they point out in the episode, it was a very divisive issue in a way that like the divisiveness was actually this. A lot of people felt pretty much like he had it coming to him because he was gay, that he got like, you know, really brutally murdered by a bunch of random guys at a bar just for being gay. Um, I had a response to that similar to when I watched the um, FX assassination of Giovanni Versace show, where it was like, it was that was set in 97. It was very easy for Andrew Cunanan to um, blackmail these like affluent closeted gay men because being gay was such a was so taboo at the time that it was very easy for him to just lean into that and get whatever he wanted out of them. Um, and that it would be a thing where it was like, oh, Matthew Shepard was murdered like horribly and brutally. Well, that's that's what happened. So I don't know. I, I feel I have a lot of mixed feelings about the sort of political tone of this show in the Trumpian era. But I think it is good that they, in their own way, tried to sort of highlight this and talk about our history. And that, you know, it wasn't that long ago that that's how a lot of the nation felt and we need to be paying attention to the divisive rhetoric that is winning right now. Um, what were your thoughts on that whole discussion? Uh, it was, uh, it was definitely on the positive side of those kinds of reveals. Um, yeah. Oh no, for sure. A lot of times those teary reveals about the homophobia they experienced while genuine and affecting in and for themselves can feel either queen manipulated or producer manipulated or in a way that just makes me feel like you've made me feel bad for no valid reason. And I don't like that. This did seem to have, like you said, it it felt like a specific call out uh, to remind 
the rest of the world that our concerns are not frivolous and remind us that um, it wasn't that long ago things were a lot worse and it's there are no like there aren't guarantees in the world so that felt it it, it felt useful towards the show's broader this this episode specifically's broader narrative so I, I i don't like emotional torture porn any more than i like regular torture porn um so like i don't like to feel bad just to prove they can make me feel bad but this this felt like it was con- this had some connective tissue uh to the broader story and they largely uh, kind of maybe somewhat 60 percent tied it into mercedes uh, talking to the other queens uh, about what she wouldn't talk to them last week. I can't decide if I like it or not. I go back and forth. About the Mercedes moment? Yeah, where did it just... Not not the Mercedes moment for itself. Like, I'm, I'm glad she felt comfortable talking about it, and Evie is correct. It is those kinds of conversations that move things forward. But it also... Did I just feel like... Are, are we just stapling after-school special on top of after-school special? And I can't decide how I feel about it. Um, yeah, no, I had I had positive responses to Nina's. Nina's a phenomenal actress, so whether or not it was somewhat staged on her part, I bought it, and it was important. Um, as far as Mercedes, I do think it's, it was an important but rather one-dimensional statement. I was impressed with how well Evie, Scarlett, and Vanjie handled it and, and expressed, you know, it's important for you to be out here and speak up because you get to be the representation that... You know, there are kids that need that you never had. And Scarlett saying, maybe we should have done more to make an effort to make you feel welcome and accepted and safe in this space. And and Vanjie basically being Vanjie saying, we love you, girl. Like that, that all made a great deal of sense to me. Yeah, um, it was one note. It did feel like the producers probably pressured Mercedes to like do this now because the time is ticking. <laughs> um, and like by doing that, it was definitely like they were going to send Mercedes home if she did that. And probably even if she didn't. Um, I, and maybe it was, I wanted, I actually wanted to hear something a little more substantive. Like it, it, it became like this kind of very no, surfacey, like not all like Muslims are not all terrorists. A, a, a perfectly valid point to, with which I wholeheartedly agree. But I actually, I, I think what I would have liked to hear is, is something a little more specific and personal to Mercedes about the role of her faith in her life. Like maybe that would have, and, and again, it's not like I, I'm not, I'm certainly not suggesting you, you, you have to disclose these deeply personal things to, for my satisfaction. But I think the moment would have resonated more deeply if it, like if nothing else, I would have enjoyed a conversation about Islam that was not about Westerners perception of it. If it were just, Here's the role my faith plays in my life, similar like, like like similar to the roles everyone else's faith like like other queens, uh, the black queens in particular have talked about how even when they've been rejected by their churches, it still informs and shapes their lives and expectations, and um, they work on how to balance those things, and those can be powerfully affecting, like uh, you know Latrice or uh, Monique Hart, like like Monique Hart doing that bit from the roast of Lady Bunny was like a specific shout out to the role that the that that her church plays for her and and I would have enjoyed something similar and I think it would have been a much more powerful moment I, I don't know if she talked about it and they cut it or she didn't talk about it but that was what I was waiting for was like something a little more in depth that wasn't just the 
1.0 talking points that you have to get your racist uncle across the line at, at Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I completely agree with you. I do not think she owed us that in any way, but I do feel like that would have been more impactful. This was extremely one-dimensional. It was good that it happened at all. It would have been much more impactful if it was one and a half dimensions as opposed to one. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so let's get to the challenge on the runway, the performance. So RuPaul comes out in a powder blue and pink number with uh, long blonde hair that's giving you a lot more fashion model and less sort of just drag. Uh, I, I hate to say it because it's so like cliche white beauty gorgeous, but she's looked stunning. She looked probably the most beautiful I've seen her possibly ever. <laughs> um, and then the guest judges are Joel McHale uh, and Tiffany Pollard. We will get to the judges later. Boy, boy, do I have thoughts, and I bet you do too. Many thoughts. I've organized yeah. them on flashcards. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. So the performance starts. Trump the Rusical, and we have a cameo from Ginger Minj as Trump, which she did excellently it, and disappeared into. Did you clock it was Ginger Minj before the little Chiron came up? No. I assumed it was Ginger Minge because I'm a terrible person. Um, and then they were like, it's Ginger Minge. I'm like, yeah, of course it's Ginger Minge. Uh, nice. G- Ginger did an amazing job. There's, there's a whole category of Oscars for playing ugly. Charlize Theron has one of them. Who else? Like, yeah, anytime they put like a, like, you know, prosthesis somewhere on your face to make you less stunningly attractive, you get an Oscar. And Ginger Minge should get that fucking Oscar. Because I know she likes to call herself a glamour toad, but it's like, well, your face is symmetrical and you can make yourself pretty when you want to. And you chose to do the opposite here with reckless abandon. And I lived. Yeah, honestly, it's the same way I feel about all the reading about Ariel Versace's What's Your Sign Runway, where it was like she used an animal fur and had that wide thing on the back. And goats or rams have like bare asses. Everyone was like, it made you look stumpy and wide. And it was like, well, it's a stumpy and wide animal. She fucking killed it. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, I expect that Ginger Minj is willing to be ugly in order to play a part effectively. She did great. She's, she's one of the, I mean, honestly, prior to this season, I would say unequivocally, she's the best actress to ever come off this show. I am still leaving it possible that somebody on this season will make me think differently, but Ginger Minj is a phenomenal actress. Um, all right, so it starts. Uh, so I'm going to say, guess... I'm just going to say right at the top, I am thrilled they did it as a parody of an extant musical rather than just being we've thrown together some shitty songs, because the. I, I, I think the attempt to make everyone a specific woman in the Trump orbit was a was an interesting idea and a novel way to get around the problem of doing the, the Trump rusical without making it about Trump himself. Uh, so I appreciated that. Um, it worked best because the music was clearly callbacks to like Greece is not my favorite musical. Uh, I, I find conflicted teenagers super boring. Uh, I didn't. I'm not a huge Romeo and Juliet fan. I'm not a huge West Side Story fan. It's not that I don't acknowledge it's a good show. It's just not the one I go to watch when I have the time and the money. Um, so, like, Grease, it's kind of like, eh, it's fine. The music's fun. And Olivia Newton-John looks great at the end. But it's not, like, 
like, you know, Stalker Channing as Rizzo is fabulous as a 35-year-old, 16-year-old, and that's great. But, like, it's just not one I go to. But they did a good job parodying the style and rhythm of those songs, so I appreciated that. And I think it kept it at—so, like, at worst, it was mediocre, as opposed to, like, some of the shit shows the writers have been giving us in the last season, season and a half. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that assessment. Um, so, all right, so moving through it, uh, Scarlett did Betsy DeVos with a thick Midwestern accent. I thought it was good. The look could have been way more on point. She seemed to be like a quarter of a second behind lip singing, but she knew the whole thing and she uh, definitely embodied it with her facial expressions and stuff. So she sold it. I thought she did a good job. Um, Brooklyn did a great Ivana. She killed it. I definitely think her channeling abfab was uh patsy was perfect yeah um, agreed and nina west as sarah huckabee sanders really knew how to contort her face to get that brown line and that like weird smushed back chin situation like i don't i'm not trying to like hate on sarah b huckabee sanders sarah huckabee sanders appearance but i think nina west did a very good job of channeling her in a way that was not super flattering to sarah yeah, um, yeah. Uh, can I ask a question, an indelicate yeah. question? Sure. Does Nina West have the biggest hands you've ever seen? Like, I understand Nina's a big guy. Like, like football, lot, like, as Ursula was a fat kid in high school, and the way they thought to make fat kids feel better was to suggest they play football, and it's like, well, I can't imagine anything more hellish, but thank you, keep walking. Um, and, like, even by linebacker standards, when Nina held her hands to her face, I stopped myself and I was like, is she wearing like fake hands to make her hands bigger? It was like claws. I, I, I don't, I had a moment and I just, I wanted to know if you noticed that as well or if I'm just overreacting to something pointless. I mean, I think like, I think, hold on, my, there is a drag race, not the one we're talking about happening outside my window. Um, so, so, uh, <laughs> I think Nina just has a very football athletic build. And I know a lot of people tend to conflate like thickly built and overweight in odd ways. But I think she does look like somebody where like six months with a trainer and some protein powder and she'd look like a Schwarzenegger in no time. <laughs> and I just I just think like the shape of her forearms, everything. I just think she's got very, you know, Popeye-esque qualities. Thank and you that, that I'm not the only one who noticed. I just and I'm that not validation. Insult, like, I think she's a phenomenal and fabulous and talented queen. She's not a look queen. She's a performer and she's a great performer. That is not a read. I have often gone for men because they've got great forearms like that. Like, not <laughs> not a bad thing. Um, so, all right. Uh, moving on. So, uh, Evie's Kellyanne Conway which was the dance that they that Ariel struggled with that became kind of a solo moment. I'm going to say that I loved that Evie was... She's a weird, queer, politically commentating and just sort of oddball drag queen who feels a little vintage in all the best ways in this season of Pageant Girls. I love that she like fully committed to this characterization in a way that was like a hideous caricature of Kellyanne Conway that Kellyanne Conway completely deserved. She did a great job. I loved it. Oh, I lived. It was amazing. Like she, she did that thing where she like inhabited the makeup. Like it wasn't just, yeah. she put lines on her face 
and that was it. She, like, moved her face with it. I, I'm expressing it badly because I'm drunk, but... Um, no, it was a it was an amazing performance. It was full and and a callback to her earlier conversation. She pointed out something she needed to do this safely with that accommodation. N none of that was about Evie's commitment or talent. That was Wait. a literal medical condition that precluded, as a matter of fact, a certain movement and get working like when she brought it up. It was to bring up the workaround, not to be excused from doing it. And I, I really think that was great. Yeah, like, no, like, she's great. She's very tactful. I like her a lot. She handled it. I agree with your assessment entirely. Um, so Silky's Oprah. She did a great job. I think that's a role that sets you up to stand out. She embodied it. She made the right hair and color choices. I think it, it was supposed to harken back to that sort of um, that fairy tale beauty school dropout moment oh, in yeah, Greece. Yeah, and was, I, I yeah. think it was the right color choices that gave me Oprah and that sort of angelic idea. She did a great job. Uh, like her makeup was amazing. Like it wasn't just that she embodied Oprah. Bitch straight up looked like Oprah. Yeah. yeah. Like it was one of those like, and again, like talking earlier about like one of my favorite things is like, if you color parts of your eyebrow ridge and parts of your under eye, like you can change how I see your face, especially from a distance, especially on TV. And it wasn't just like, I'm a fat black woman screaming, therefore I'm Oprah. She literally looked like Oprah. And I, I was extremely impressed by that. And I think you know how much I hate having to give Silky Ganache a compliment. Uh, I'll, yeah, no, I, I hear you. I'll, I'll give her her compliments. Um, but yeah, no, I, I concur. Um, so those who did decently, in my opinion, Akuria as Stormy Daniels, uh, Suga as Hillary, and Plastique as Melania. Um, I thought, think they all did a good job, not a phenomenal job, but a very good job. Yeah. Um, so where I do disagree is with the judges on Raja. So as much as, like, episode one of this podcast, I was basically like, Anything I've seen with Raja, she's dead in the eyes. Her, she keeps losing her earrings. There's, like, nothing distinct about her. She has literally the opposite of the it factor. I'm not feeling this girl at all. Um, I actually feel overall in this competition that she's getting less props than she deserves at multiple fronts. And I actually thought she did a good job of combining both Amorosa and a disenfranchised Grease character um, I feel like the judges, so Amarosa is, I've heard this said before and I stand by it. I think Louis Fertel said this, which by the way, if your name is Louis Fertel, please be on our podcast. Um, Louis Fertel has said that Amarosa is the epitome of a celebrity who says you either love me or you hate me. And I'm deeply indifferent to her. And I have like seen her on things. I don't care. She is a stunt queen. I don't find her particularly interesting. I feel like the judges kind of feed into the to Amorosa's crazy inflated ego in a way that I don't connect to at all. I thought Raja did a great job of like the, both the, all of the appearance things and the song was written for her to, to look and feel disillusioned. How is she supposed to be portraying Amorosa's like arrogant delusional self-assurance while doing that? That's not possible. I thought it was, Honestly, I just thought it was completely unfair, and I kind of feel like she's had a few iterations of that where I did not think I would be defending this girl at this point, but I absolutely think that Raja did a great job. 
um, or did at least a good job, not so bad of a job that she belonged in the bottom two. Hmm. I don't know what your thoughts are, but that's me. I, maybe I just don't, don't, I've known too many women like Amorosa to be like impressed with her stunts. No, I I'm, do nothing for me. Now you can't see it because it's a podcast, but I'm thoughtfully stroking my painted on beard right now, pondering your question. Who would I put in the bottom other than Raja? Well, that's, see, as much as I said that, as soon as I said that, I thought, as much as I didn't like this, um, I did not like this musical or the choreography that accompanied it particularly, but I will say, I feel that overall, both on the runway and in the performance, I think the Queens did a fantastic job on whole. The worst ones did only good, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. I would agree with that. I would agree with so that. So it is hard to pick bottoms. I would not have picked Raja, though. Hmm. Uh, I will say that. Um, so to me, Vanjie and Mercedes were the two that failed to channel their characters the most in the performance. Um, I think it seemed like Mercedes didn't really know who Ivanka Trump was and did a Grease character pretty effectively, knew the words. Like, she delivered it, I think, like a different hairstyle and, like, one different facial expression that would have had a double entendre that I doubt Mercedes would know might have you know, really ch dramatically changed that performance. Um, I'm going to, I agree with that. I am going to defend Vanjie and say, I don't think at least nothing in what they showed us. Like, I think Rosie O'Donnell doing that scene would not have read Rosie O'Donnell. Because if nothing else, if you want Rosie O'Donnell in your Grease musical, like when they did it, you make her Rizzo. Like that, I, I don't know. It just, uh, it just seemed like what opportunity was there for her to portray that character in what we saw on screen. Um, she could have worn a like circa 1997 women's pantsuit that she wore all the time when she was on her television show. Like we do see Rose, like, so Rosie O'Donnell is way less in the public eye now, but when you do see her, she's often wearing like black. I'm not sure what those pants are. And like a black cardigan and her hair is dyed such a dark Brown that it's basically black and square black frames. Right. I completely agree with Michelle Visage that there was nothing about what she was doing or the exact proportions of those black items that she was wearing that really channeled or gave me Rosie O'Donnell. It was just lesbian fly girl. I think there are a few things that Vanjie could have done that would have given Rosie way more than she did. I also think that Vanjie has a, like a round edged face that just a little bit of padding and that outfit might've sold it entirely. Um, a little bit of padding and a lady's business suit might have sold it entirely, to be honest. Like, I, I think that there were other things she could have done. She she didn't. I, I, yeah. I, did, I won't. I, I will say I agree with your costume critiques, but uh, I'm still. It able. wasn't distinct enough. It just felt like. Uh, less, I, yeah, I, I get that. I get that. I think when you do somebody thing where you're like parroting and caricaturing and impersonating enough that people can like get who you're doing you need to try to go for the most iconic cliche of them or it doesn't really land i, I yeah so no, that was I, my... I get that no she should have walked out and like uh slung shot a koosh ball at the judges that would have been great oh my god um yeah, yeah. I, deep deep 90s references that's what i bring that's why i'm here you're educating <laughs> the children um so, 
Yeah. Um, so to me, the bottom two were Mercedes and Raja. So, oh, let's go to the runway. So the runway is oh, yeah. real quick. Um, I'm just going to go through these quickly, not touch on everybody. But um, so Evie starts off with an interesting orange Ryan hat clown look. It's very circus. I love it. It transforms me to another time and place. Oh, my God. When and she something... swip... oh, 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 Go ahead. Sorry. And I was just going to say, I think it's what good drag and performance art does on the whole. Like, I loved it. And honestly, the second I saw it, I was like, everything else is going to look pale in comparison to this. And as much as the rest of the runway was good, this was absolutely my favorite. And it started it off. Yeah. When she swiveled her hips and the little, like, circus tent swiveled up to reveal. She sold it. Oh, my God. That was so great. It was like, it was like kooky and weird and kinetic. And it sold it. And that headpiece was everything oh i agree i agree completely um so silky had an orange pageant gown. it was gorgeous and glorious and fit her perfectly she was very pageant she walked the runway real slow i enjoyed that a lot i thought the look was exquisite do i think a lot of times the pageant gown gets read as basic yes do i think this was gorgeous enough to be like fuck basic it's it's gorgeous absolutely that's that was my thought yeah um, so Mercedes look, I liked the top part, um, the showgirl look, it was cute. It was basic. It was too basic. She I feel least, like she at least needed to be better cinched. Yeah. I, I feel like she did a good job and that's the worst that's happened on this runway. And so I understand why she was in the bottom. Um, Vanjie's Orton showgirl look. I fucking loved it. It was so detailed. It was so over the top and wonderful. Um, yeah, it, it was phenomenal. Uh, I do, I do think it was interesting that Michelle critiqued it as um, like this is gorgeous. You look gorgeous. This is the third something like this that we have seen. So I'm looking forward to another look, which is like a polite way of saying this is great. You've done a lot like this. I'm not reading you for this. You look stunning. Please try to show us something new. Well, on the one hand, I think it's a little unfair to play that card this episode because they literally said, give us this color. So the fact that she's worn very similar colors leading up to this is coincidence. And I will say a lot of the queens interpreted orange as showgirl. And I'll I'll say this. um, I was, you know, uh, reclining on my divan. Uh, thinking about how I would interpret this challenge. And it was hard for me because I am very pale and white people don't wear orange normally. Certainly not, you know, bright dreamsicle candy orange because it makes us look dead in an unflattering way. That's like not, you know, sexy, spooky, share needles, just straight up. Are, are you getting enough iron in your diet? Is your liver okay? Um, dead. And, I, I think a lot of the queens solved that problem by going Vegas showgirl where like tacky color clashing is not as offensive. And of the showgirl looks, Vanjie killed it. That she killed. was everything. Yeah, no, she did kill it. I do. I will say this. I feel like I took Michelle's statement, not as so overall, this is rating low on this runway, but as, this is gorgeous. This is the third iteration. I'm not clocking you now. I will clock you next week. Oh, no. Yeah, I want to see a gown, too. Just yeah. for fun. Yeah. Um, so 
Moving on. I loved Nina West's. She was referencing um, Barbara Streisand. Streisand and I, Hello Dolly, yeah. Yeah, but I was like, it just made me think of, Nina West made me think of Mae West, and I, I loved it. I feel like they don't really ever go up for a look like this, but I go up for a look like this. I loved it. Uh, I, I had an issue with some of the fine details on this. Like, the fan didn't have enough feathers, and a couple, it, it, it just looked a little chintzier than I would want. It didn't look luxurious to me okay i would have to look at it again yeah. i liked it when i saw it on the runway oh no i um, like the idea uh, anyone who wants to give me hello dolly at any time is free to do so it's amazing and i love it it makes me happy i just some of the fine detail work didn't didn't quite come off for me gotcha uh so brooklyn's nude illusion strappy orange and orange jacket look it was very like striking and she did the new illusion part very well. I thought it was a fun take on it. Um, you you were discussing what you would do. Um, I will say that I am of the max level pale complexion or near that, as is uh, Brooklyn. And I think Brooklyn did a good job. So personally, I'll tell you right now, I am not somebody who's like, I'm going to use like self-tanning lotion. I'd absolutely use self-tanning lotion for an orange challenge because the contrast against my like pale porcelain like ashy white fair cool toned skin would the, be the term of art is alabaster that's when you're complimentary there are ashy <laughs> undertones and i'm keeping it real that's the ugly clashing with orange look is the ashy like the yeah. ash as in what you see in hair color never mind um, I'm I'm a bigger homosexual than you. Uh, so so uh, I I think the nude illusion look was a very good idea given her complexion because the nude bodysuit was darker than her skin tone and had a orange hue that was flattering. The orange jacket was interesting. Um, it was a very good look. It was not a definite win look to me but it was a very good look well in a uh, weird way and maybe i'm being too picky here and i don't care it's half my show um it kind of reminded me too much of her first look of her of her blue look like maybe it's just the wig she she wears that wig a lot that kind of like so apparently she's very good friends with detox and a lot of people have been commenting oh, that I've been detox reading gave her a ton of her clothes before she went and a lot of people are starting to feel like, oh, she's just wearing Detox's wardrobe. I don't know. So maybe, maybe I'm not over it officially. Maybe I'm over it provisionally. So okay. I just I just want to see different hair. I get you. <laughs> um, so then moving on, Sugar. So she did a Donald Trump look. It was perfectly executed. The coiffed hair was feminine and shimmery. Uh, the, the look overall was shimmery and well-tailored. Uh, it was overdone in a way that was absolutely drag and feminized. The joke has been done a million times now. The makeup of the orange tan was overdone for comedic effect in a way that I think it was very well done. I think if you were going to do this, this is the perfect way you do it, that it's still very feminine and drag and it's campy and it's making the joke. But the joke has been made so many times that it's like, I'm not going to like clock you for it, but it's not wowing me. So here's... A lot of people on the internet fucking hated this. I disagree with the hate. I do not think this is a hate-worthy look, but I will ask this of the class. Do you think they were told to bring an orange look or bring an orange look because we're doing Trump the Rusical? Because if she was just told, bring an orange look, and she interpreted that as, I'm going to give you 
glam femme Trump, and then it turned out it was for Trump the Rusical, I would have been so mad if I was Sugar Cane. I would have like murdered a PA just for balance. Like, I legitimately think that they they get the prompts and they're not contextualized into what episodes they pair with. Uh, I would have been I... so mad if I was Sugarcane because if the if this were not preceded by Trump the Rusical, I think people would have gagged. Yeah, no, no, I agree, I agree. I'm I'm ninety nine point nine percent certain she did not know that the orange look would be with the Trump the Rusical. That this was just a coincidence. It was. Did you think? And I thought it was very smart that because. She was doing the blue suit. She definitely made a point to have an orange tie, so she's at least wearing some orange in her body's orange. I almost feel like with the over over tan lotion orange look, it was like not only was she like, oh, I want this joke to really land, but she was like, this needs to be orange enough that they're not going to be like, you didn't even wear the color and send me home. Yeah, I also want to compliment she did her hands well. And yeah. there's a great interview with Adina Menzel about playing Alphaba where it's like, yeah, you got to do the little shit to make it really work or people will know, even if they don't know why they know little, the, 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 the detail on the, the details is matter. really great. The details matter. And she did a phenomenal job. Um, so the tops were silky and Evie. Uh, I think that Evie, in my opinion, won this challenge. Agreed. This is why we're friends. Uh, so I think she won. But I think it is too early to be giving a second win to anybody. I also think that Silky did do a very good job, and they want to keep Silky around forever because she sucks up the oxygen. And she was, you know, I, in my opinion, she was a second place contender. So they were going to give it to her. Which I is kind of absolutely given it to Evie, but I get this yeah, show was very. Producer. It's kind of funny because we said that about Evie and Scarlett's co-win, where we're like, yeah, Evie won one. Scarlet is an acceptable also ran who will let win. It's kind of an interesting place to be where it's like, even if you didn't win win outright, we all still think you could or should have won. Yep. And that's, that's, a, I mean, there are worse places to be. That's actually a very good place to be. And a lot of times that's a better place to be than, than winner winner. Yeah. Yep. I am going to say giving Silky Nutmeg Ganache a win is like feeding Gizmo after midnight. I am afraid yep. about what's going to happen next week. I concur. Um, so we get the lip sync and it is Raja and Mercedes. Mercedes clockably does not know the words, but she's trying. We've seen her be a per spirited performer before. She seems pretty resolved and happy and aware that she only knows some of the words. Um, Raja, who again, I famously called dead in the eyes episode one. I'm sorry, Raja. I was a bitch. Um, she really came to life on stage. I thought she did a phenomenal job. A lot of her performance was centered on making eye contact with the judges panel, I thought she did a great job. And I feel like pretty early on, it was like, so Raja won. Oh yeah. In the first 30 That's... seconds. Yeah. 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 I got to um, say of all the wig disasters, this one almost worked it, it it and, and it helped because it was a, it was a man, it was a male song. So when the wig falls off to reveal this slightly feminine, but still somewhat mad, like, like the braids really kind of worked and yeah. she played. And again, good actors, it's not good actors do not avoid mistakes. Good actors cover mistakes without letting you know they made one. Like with a little, like if they had cut the right one second out of that moment, I would have believed it was intentional, which in, in the lip sync context is worse. I get that. But I'm just saying like she, she covered the loss of her wig in the, while never breaking the context of the song. And it really worked. She made an air guitar work. 
And that's that's impressive in and of yeah. itself. <laughs> I, I agree. No, I, and I think the other thing, it was a pussycat wig. It was a man singing the song. I don't remember what song it was. Living in um, America the, by James Brown, a person Mercedes go. has never heard of. <laughs> yeah. So the wig falls off towards the end, and it's like a it's a cute little pixie cut, and then it's a sort of feminine braiding, and she didn't overreact. I think, like, first off, it makes sense you wouldn't glue that wig down. Um, and she rolled with it, and she like that was definitely not going to cost her that win at that point. So I thought it was a good lip sync. I hope that Raja has a couple moments where she gets to shine, because I feel like She's doing a decent job, and it's, like, never working out in her favor. Um, Grace then, Jones, that's what I've been trying to think of here for the last five minutes. When she lost the wigs, she went from Raja to Grace Jones, and that's why it still worked. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I want to talk about the judges panel. Uh, I was so kind let, of... Let me refill my wine and yeah. inject myself with some mescaline. Yeah, Carry on. so... I, I decided not to sort of integrate it in the discussion because I felt like it was a separate thing. So Tiffany Pollard was very funny. I'm not somebody, I mean, no, she is. I've seen her on some things, but I'm not a big reality TV consumer. I get the sort of cult and icon surrounding her. She wasn't going to sit there and make up puns when the girls walk the runway the way everybody else does. I doubt she watches this show or if she does, if she pays attention. And she generally has a tendency to do things her own way. Um, she made very funny comments and observations. It was different than it normally sounds, but I think that it worked and it was funny and entertaining and she made a great judge in her own way. Um, I, I liked it a lot. Uh, do you have thoughts on Tiffany before we move on to Joel? Uh, yeah, she's, she was great for, she was exactly who she is. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I that, think she, she, yeah. she managed to do a good job judging as herself, yeah. like entirely. That Rosie O'Donnell line was super weird, but I don't want any follow-up, so I'll move on. Oh, I thought it was funny. I thought it was like a funny, honest moment, and I appreciated the candor. <laughs> um, so, Joel McHale. Oh, Joel McHale. So, I used to like him a lot and find him attractive. Oh, yeah, on Community. Which, they got that man in his underwear at least once a season, like it was in his fucking contract. And, and I think that's not Dan a type I that. normally go for. That's not a type I normally go for, <laughs> but I, I found him attractive and funny. Um, we've never encountered any version of this before. It's interesting to see Bobby Moynihan earlier this season as a judge who is a celebrity who's gotten a lot of notoriety in Saturday Night Live in recent years. They've done parodies and references to Drag Race, he is a great, you know, improvisational actor who loves this show, is vocally a super fan, gets it, got it, showed up, had a, a great time. Like, that's a straight white man you want to come, right? Like, like everyone's welcome at this table, at this, like, competitive reality show of a queer performance art. Joel McHale showing up and doing a lot of his own comedy that was centered on him as opposed to actually being a judge, and the comedy being like this weird, offbeat, straight man sense of humor and him really leaning into it as opposed to just being a judge, the like shouting like he was shouting from the bleachers, giving all homosexuals like traumatic gym class flashbacks. Um, the yelling was obnoxious and it wasn't funny at all. I don't think he realized how tone deaf it was to focus so much on being ridiculous and ridiculously straight, especially in this era. Um, it was completely bizarre and in such poor taste. I don't think he has any idea yeah. like how off base it was. 
But like, what, what are your? I just monologue. Oh, please tell. Please monologue back at me. No, 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 no. When you monologue, I can drink. It's okay. Um, yeah. It's uh, there have been other actors and comedians that were clearly not. They weren't. They didn't hate the show. They came out on the show, but they weren't super fans. And they all managed to find a way to like thread the needle of. Here's what I have learned about performing, about live performing, about celebrity, about criticism, about ego, about life. And they all managed to like filter their critiques, if nothing else, if not, if they, even if they weren't good critiques of drag as drag, they were still like, I've been a professional performer on a stage, not terribly dissimilar to this for the last 20 years. And here's the things I've learned. Here's how you nod politely during criticism and pick yourself up and dust yourself off and take that for what it's worth. There was none of that engagement. Uh, and to like, even like a couple of weeks ago when it was, was, was Felicity Huffman this season or all stars? I am so bad on dates she was all -stars. and places. Okay. She was all stars season four. Yeah. Her critique wasn't like, well, you're the fishy queen. So you need to do this. Her critiques were largely, you know, in the realm of this was good acting, this was bad acting, here's how you respond to those things. So it's like, it wasn't like even like a super fan thing, if I'm recalling correctly again. I No, she's just a performance artist and like she's a, she understood what they were doing and the language she was using wasn't like, I'm a super fan of the show or drag, but I get it enough and at base I'm a trained actor who can critique. Right. And that meeting them there it makes even the most random celebrity appearance worthwhile. Cause like even the one, even the celebrities like in like the, you know, seasons three, four and five, like when it was established, but still hadn't like broken really big. When a couple of those guest judges were like, wow, you really do have a book to sell right now. Don't you? Um, yeah. There was still like a moment in the judging where it's just like, I'm watching dedicated people present complex gorgeous art to me that they care about uh i'm gonna be i'm gonna be me real hard here for a second but in his collection of annotated lyrics stephen sondheim has a great line about how he likes watching cooking shows even though he hates cooking it's because you enjoy watching masters explain their art there's something interesting about that inherently and, oh, absolutely and i think that's a big part of the draw of this show yeah like i i Part of what made the show, the golden age of the show, in part, was the golden age of the show because of things like the Dragon a Dime Challenge and the, like, really pushing them to, like, uh, step their pussies up with their own two hands. Like, they all didn't come in with, like, 12 hand-sewn looks from, you know, fashion houses in New York looking for Instagram exposure. Like, there was, like, like you really, like, you got into, like, the guts of what it is to transform yourself into a drag queen and that's what made those episodes so interesting and to circle this back to our actual point um i never e i could have handled joel McHale performing douche bro for funsies and annoying the fuck out of michelle out of michelle visage if there were that moment at the end where when like when you look at vangie or evie or nina who i critiqued but i it's still a great look it, i I get exactly what she meant. Um, but when you look at that and just go, you've done something that is not easy, is not for everyone, and came from a place, especially for queens like Evie or Nina or Vanjie, came from a place deep inside of you. 
and every other celebrity judge, largely because like you don't put yourself through the life of being any kind of celebrity unless you unless you want it, unless there is something in you that wants to do that kind of creative work. Unless you just want to be famous for being famous and that makes you bland and uninteresting. But it was like, yeah, like, believe me, I've watched enough men.com videos to find the appeal on occasion of like the aggressively straight straight guy. It, it can be fun. It can be a thing. But like, I it, love that your discussion of heteronormative behavior always veers back to pornography, not like straight men as real people in the world. <laughs> If it's not obvious, Hersula works in a female-only workspace. <laughs> Continue. Uh, but yeah, it's just, um, if there were a moment where it all came together, where it was like, even if this is not my drag, it's your drag. You know what it was? He was in their house and acted like he was above it. And even, uh, like, I think, like yeah, like, there are many art forms that I do not, you know, uh, like spend my own money on or spend my free time engaging. But if I were on like, I don't know, skin wars or some other reality show about artists creating a kind of art, I do not personally, you know, peruse for fun. I could still just be like, you know, you're all nice people and you're all trying real hard. And I will do respect to that by engaging it where it is. And the weird yelling, like, yeah, Believe me, if I go on that, if I ever am lucky enough to be famous enough to be able to become a judge on Drag Race, sure, I'm going to needle the fuck out of Michelle Visage for funsies. But it will be done in the loving context of I am grateful to be in this, the sacred temple of one of my favorite things in the world. Like, yeah, I, I, <laughs> Go ahead. No, I, I think I'm done. <laughs> okay. Uh, you are drunk. That was, that was, I, I thought I was long winded. Um, that was adorable, but very well, well spoken. Um, no, I, uh, I think the weird thing was it, it's not even that it like in its directness felt explicitly disres like I'm in this house and I'm disrespecting it, but I feel like he was so not actually focused on or trying to judge he was preoccupied with his own gimmick that I imagine will show up on his Netflix show if that still exists or somewhere that I feel like he showed up and was like, I'm doing my own weird comedy, straight guy comedy thing where I'm in this really queer space doing this super butch thing so much so that I'm failing to even consider the primary responsibility of judging this as part of my appearance here. And I'm not even doing that. This will show up this like video will show up somewhere else and I'll make jokes and money from it. I'm not actually even coming on to judge. I don't respect this art or this form or understand that by doing this, I am like disrespecting what I am attending. Um, and, and in a way I do think like he was not aware of it, but it was extremely insulting. Yeah. And like, I, I, I kept waiting for the moment to indicate that the insulting was an act or a choice. To like, yeah, hey, no, toward, hey. towards the end, when they all discussed things, like when it was the tops and bottoms, he said like one or maybe two things where it was like, wow, you paused to actually judge at all. And it like was the only moment that redeemed him at all in my eyes. Um, but it certainly didn't actually redeem him in my eyes. It like it it. it you know, made the scales a little less one-sided. <laughs> but yeah, that was like one of the... 
until that was now. The judge appearance, yeah. in my impression. Like I used to like him before this appearance. I yeah. do not like him now. There yeah. were many things about that that were really off and in poor taste. It was not okay. Yeah. Yeah. I do think it's funny that Michelle was visibly looking at him like, what the fuck are you doing? And I like that World of Wonder kept it in. Yeah. Well, it's like, like Ross knows how to needle Michelle for fun from a place of love. Like, yeah. <laughs> they have different opinions on things, and they'll be honest. They can disagree and still respect each other. It's like not a thing. Yeah. I, I'd still watch that road trip movie. It'd be a delight. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it was so... Ag- you know, it, there's a difference between, you know, it, it's great. I, I'm, in about, I'm about to connect all my points at once. Go with me. I talked earlier about how one of the things I love about the show is that it gives sissies agency. Yep. It, it divorces competitiveness from stereotypical masculinity. And then here was Joel McHale just like slice it, like weirdly representing what we had managed to divorce. Like he brought the like douche bro watching what this is apparently a thing straight men do is watch football with people they don't like i don't know what that is a lot of straight men have described this to me and i don't understand it but he brought this energy that is normally what i enjoy having excised (laughs) from my drag race it's like i can watch these absolute cutthroat bitches like no one can tell me that trinity the tuck taylor would not absolutely murder you literally end a human life for that crowd but it's great seeing it through yeah, the lens of like a queer person. And it's like, yeah. that's, that is fucking fascinating to me. And then just have this like, I have to like piss on everything to mark my territory. It wasn't just annoying, it was boring. Yeah, it was both of those things. Uh, yeah. And we do watch it to kind of escape that really insufferably dull undercurrent that makes me so happy I'm not a straight man. Um, and that was his whole joke. And he was really very invested in the joke that he was telling that wasn't particularly funny as opposed to actually being on the show. I, I have not like looked into anything or checked if there were any articles. I suspect that RuPaul said very little, but gave him a look that was like, you know, a look that could kill basically. You know what the difference is? He he is the guy in the makeover competition in the makeover episode where we're all like, why did you even agree to do this if you're going to be this grumpy? Yeah, Bobby Moynihan. Yeah, Bobby Moynihan was Miss Cookie. Yeah, no, he yeah he he was he loved the show. He got the performance art. He respected it for what it was, and he judged for real. He's a super fan for real. He was all in. Like. Here's the thing. If you are a straight white man who's a super fan of Drag Race and you're a really talented improvisational performer, like, you're you're a great guest judge. Like, you fucking respect the art. I This isn't like I'm trying to not include straight people. Jo- like, the joke of his aggressive cliche straightness that he devoted the vast majority of his judging time to was not funny. Yeah. Period. Yeah. It was... Yeah. Yeah, and it, and I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna preempt any response. It that was not the edit. The edit could not do that by itself. I agree. Uh, All right. Well, that was a fascinating episode. Uh, and now we move on to a reading from that girl down the street that you don't like. Hey everyone, 
It's that girl down the street with another drag queen tarot reading. This week I'm going to be doing a reading for Mercedes Iman Diamond, the most recently eliminated queen from RuPaul's Drag Race Season 11. Let's get started. Okay, let's have a little look. Your three cards for this reading, Mercedes, are Ace of Pentacles, the King of Swords, and the Lovers. I love it. Okay, so the past, it represents the Ace of Pentacles. We've actually had this come up with one of our other Drag Race girls for their first card. The Ace of Pentacles means the beginning of something new, something with money. So this would obviously have to do with uh, your newfound entrepreneurial endeavor that is being a Rue girl. So congratulations on your new endeavor, Mercedes. It will obviously be one that will bring you those coins. The King of Swords is a decisive figure who pertains to judgment and associated attributes, so power and things of that nature. I think for you, Mercedes, this has to do with your fear of being judged by others, and then your decisiveness related to letting go of that fear and really embracing yourself as a proud Muslim queen. I was so proud of you when you decided to cast away that fear and really start embracing yourself. Good job, Mercedes. That last card that you have is the lovers. And I think I'm going to do a little bit of an unconventional interpretation of the lovers in that I think that this has a lot to do not with maybe finding some other to love, but it has to do with loving yourself, in that the two figures present in the lovers represent Adam and Eve, but let's be honest, they're really one, they're parts of the same whole, so maybe it's not so much about loving some other to complete you, but realizing that it is in you that you complete yourself. Hmm? Anyway, Mercedes, I think that these three cards spell a wonderful fortune for you. Like starting off with something new, some new endeavor that will bring you those coins. We're allowing judgment to be passed in that sometimes it's us that holds ourselves back from allowing others to truly see who we are. And then that final step of self-love, loving yourself, so that you can go on to accept all that is you and move forward into the world with prosperity in your new endeavor, honey. You're going to do great. I believe in you. Anyway, thank you for listening. This has been That Girl Down the Street with your weekly Drag Queen Tarot reading as part of Reading Drag Race, reminding you that sometimes 
We read the cards, but sometimes the cards read us. Have a good one. Club 96. All right, thank you, that girl. Uh, I want to thank everyone for joining us on what has largely become a conversation of Condi and I processing our feelings from high school and beyond. Uh, so uh, read, rate, and review us. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Uh, tell your friends, tell your frenemies. Uh, we're delightful, and everyone should listen to us. Bye. Bye.